G'day, you're listening to Living the Dream, the podcast of the Hoo Ha Group. You are here with John and Dave, and we're sitting in Cooparoo, and John's about to have a burrito. We're doing part two of our election special today. It's a little bit noisy, but hopefully the sound quality will be all right. So today we're going to be looking at anti-politics, populism. Uh, we're going to be we're going to be unpacking the concept of of anti-politics uh, as it's presented by uh, the uh, Tadeusz uh, Tietze and Elizabeth Humphreys at left flank. We're also then going to look at law and order and how it's been used by the LNP government, maybe have a bit of chat about the Palm United Party, maybe One Nation, and then we're going to focus especially on the very interesting election uh, campaign of Jonathan Three from the Greens, which seems to really embody a whole series of contradictions. Does that sound about right, John? Sounds fantastic. Um, but before we get into it, let's set the tone with a classic musical number. In the square, Big City. The boys in blue are everywhere. Big City. See the blacks in the park. Big City. Hear the door slam, hear the dogs bark. Big City. They're keeping the city safe after dark. Big City. The Minister for Corruption's working late. Big City. What's a piece of the action in race eight? No SP here, he's ringing in a state. Big City. The blacks at Arakoon have to go. Big City. To keep big business on the go. Big City. While Joe gets shares in Kamalco. Big City. Who was the bad man? Who was the hit man? Big City. Who were the front men? Who were the big men? Big City. In the national scam. Emergency for the box. 
to show the workers who's boss. Big City. You think you got rights, they're already lost. Big City. If you don't want to know, you've heard it before. Big City. But if you come to slot, you'll sure get more. Big City. Where's you now from 84? Big City. All right, so key to our explorations today is this concept of anti-politics. And I think we might bounce it back and forth with a different concept of depoliticization as well. Mm. But anti-politics has been getting a lot of um, discussion on uh, radical social media, and it's been really being pushed by comrades at the blog Left Flank, and we'll link to some of the key articles. John, do you want to give us a bit of a breakdown about what you understand the concept of anti-politics to be all about? Yeah, look, I mean, firstly, I'm just going to go through one of the articles that we're going to be posting to is anti-politics elephant in the room from left flank and there's a really great quote from Gramsci that I want to just talk about to start with Uh, if the ruling class this is a quote has lost its consensus i.e. is no longer leading but only dominant this means precisely that the great masses have become detached from their traditional ideologies and no longer believe what they used to believe previously the crisis consists precisely in the fact that the old is dying and the new cannot be born. In this interregnum, a great variety of morbid symptoms appear. Okay, so how I understand it, the key concept relates to three different phenomena and also a kind of historical argument. Mm. So the historical argument, I think, goes something like this. That in a, in a capitalist society, you have this weird paradox where capitalists do not directly rule, but mm. the state rules. Mm. And politics as these authors define it, is pretty much internal to the state, Mm. right? And there was a period of time, they seem to be saying, where political parties kind of clearly reflected articulated class interests within capitalism. Mm. And they both uh, kind of represented them but contained them at the same time. Now, something has happened, and I'm not sure if they understand it as neoliberalism, but I always read it. Something has happened from the post-70s on where various different changes have hollowed out the relationship between society and politics. Yep. Now, they don't say this, but in my mind, this seems to click like click with the notion of transforming class composition. Mm. That, you know, the ways that we work, the ways that we live, the kind of very forms of life that we have mm. no longer can correlate to the political representation mm. that currently exists. Yep. And this means that there's been a kind of detachment. Is that how you, you yeah, grasp look, it, John? I, I think that's true. I mean... There's a really good other line I think I, I think is important here is from the article itself. Um, so the detachment of political parties, I guess, from their social basis is not caused so much by the fact that the political class is less representative, but its lack of a social base makes the political class's actual role in representing the interests of the state within civil society more apparent. Okay, so 
I guess there's an argument here that there would have been a period of time, and I think particularly the post-Second World War period, where, say, the Australian Labor Party... Had effectively, a set of ideas that they represented, like social, like social democracy, and it represented very articulated well with the mass base of trade union supporters yeah, around, totally. around the white Australia. That has actually had a material, like what well, it effectively worked in capitalism to present mm. a series of class claims or interests mm. yep. within that structure, while yep. simultaneously holding them back. Yep. You know, yep. so you know the revolutionary critique of social democracy would be that this keeps people contained within capitalism, but politics at the time did effectively present this base. Mm-hmm. Simultaneously, the Liberal Party or the Nationals could be mm. argued to represent social forces. Mm. And the argument is that this no longer exists, that the correlation mm. between the social base and political parties has yep. fallen away. Yep. This then manifests in three phenomena mm-hmm. that they describe as anti-politics. So the three phenomena, jumping when I'm wrong, is like a widespread kind of feeling or contempt amongst the population towards politics, like Mm -hmm. a a broad kind of cynicism. Mm -hmm. The second point, and I think this is really interesting, is that certain uh, members of the political class, whatever we mean by that term, I think that term's not really kind of fleshed out particularly well, use anti-politics as a way of promoting themselves. So I think the classic example here is what what the authors at Left Flank call um, Rudd Mark One. So the original uh, kind of Rudd campaign. But also, you know, do you remember how Campbell Newman presented himself Mm. at the previous election? Yeah. Look, I mean, that is really interesting, actually, tying into something I was going to mention a bit later on. But So under under Newman, I think he appears as this kind of can-do character. That's his catchphrase, right? Can-do Campbell. Because he's in City Hall. He almost sits above politics here. Yeah. He sits above the Liberal Party politics. You know, like, he he is... he is the Liberal Party in power in, in the council. And maybe yeah. this is something specific to, like, being at the la- at yeah. that local level. But I think also, you know, he was really developmentalist and yeah. really sort of was able to sit above the mire of politics. Because I mean, if you think about the last election campaign, the appeal of Campbell Newman, as mm. he was presented, yeah. is here is someone outside of the failed apparatus of politics yeah. who's an effective technocrat yeah. who can be brought in. Like, and that's yeah. quite an amazing situation if you think about they had to bring in their leader, yeah, yeah, you, know, yeah. for, you know, didn't even have a seat at the time, which mm. he might, might lose. So it's a tactic. And uh, I think we can think about Palmer United, yep. the same, even Pauline Hanson, you know, yep. uh, any of those kind of populist moves. Mm. I saw this really interesting video mm. uh, before Joe Bjorka-Peterson had died mm. of Joe and Pauline speaking together. Right and really? and Joe talking about how great Pauline was, <laughs> and, in, and the thing that I thought was so amazing about that is here is the consummate political outsider, yep. and the consummate political insider, yeah, simultaneously yep. operating the same space. Mm. And I guess the third claim that they make is that anti-politics is actually part of the revolutionary anti-capitalist transformation. Yeah, that if you are a genuine anti-capitalist, or mm. no, no, I'm going to phrase that wrong. A genuinely anti-capitalist movement is not yeah. a political movement, yeah. but it is a social movement. Mm. And since it's opposed to the state, it's opposed to politics. Yeah. Now, interestingly, when I first heard the concept anti-politics, it was in about 2004, 2005, yeah. and that's how it was used by a series of anarchist and communist thinkers. Yeah. There used to be a, an online forum called antipolitics.net. Really? Um, yeah. And I think John Holloway uses it in a very similar way in his work, Change the World Without Taking Power, Crack Capitalism. This is an idea that politics, as it's understood, is in internal to uh, to the state, internal to capital. Therefore, if we want to change the world, we are opposed to politics. Yeah. This is uh, very different, I think, from a different concept, which in some ways I think explains really similar territory, which is the concept of depoliticisation. Mm-hmm. Now, just before I get into this, um, 
there's an interesting conceptual kind of difference. Like the writers at left flank, for them, politics happens within the state, right? Yes. yes. For the writers who write around the concept of depoliticization, so I'm mm. broadly saying here people like Elaine Badu, mm. Rancière, the, um, the Chinese theorist Wang Kui, um, for them, the state is not the site of politics, that it's mm. managerialism. And sure. politics is actually, out, <laughs> interestingly, like what they call politics, the left flank people don't call politics, what the left flank mm. people call politics, the deep yeah. So they're kind of reverse of each other with this concept, yeah. much of a muchness. But their short argument is that a depoliticization has happened. Yeah. That in the, the process of the 60s and 70s, with the kind of massive expansion of class struggle, more and more of life and society became politicised as people were contending and contesting uh, what should should go on right throughout life. Hmm. And that since the late 70s, there's been a process of depoliticisation. That is effectively that social antagonism has been pushed to the side and there's mm -hmm. been a managerial convergence. Yep. Now, one of the things I, I want to kind of identify um, to this is two days ago or three days ago, the Courier-Mail had uh, a front page which had a picture of Seinfeld on it, and it said the election about nothing, yep. right? And what they were—they're having a dig at the ALP there for not releasing hmm. their policies. Have you ever looked at the ALP website uh, uh, at all? It's there's nothing there. Like I mean, when, when it's bland, and you know, like even Bill Bill Shorten he got himself in a bit of trouble, you know, with with with, with Anastasia Palaszczuk by by saying that they should release their policy announcements like now, basically. So Shorten intervened in the state level, you know. Saying that they should have already released their policy postings, and you know, and you know, the the fact that they haven't done that, you know, indicates maybe you know the Campbell did catch them a bit off the mark. But yeah. but also, I think yeah. more seriously, the complete yeah, yeah. kind of it yeah. really there is a complete political convergence between yeah. the dominant forces. Yeah, like, that, they both gonna have to deal with the same economic issues. They're both gonna have to like you know the fact that Anna Bly was privatizing had a privatization yep. drive isn't you know some blip on Labor's landscape. Yeah, no, Labor has led privatisation in the past. In the 80s, they were at the forefront of the privatisation, deregulation yep. side of things, um, and the Hawke and Keating. I, I think we, we can't, you know, like, we, we can't draw any distinction, I think, between the two the two parties who are just major parties who manage capitalism. Yeah, on, on any substantial on level. On any substantial and level, and that, That's yeah. the point about depoliticisation. Like, yeah. I think what the other the depoliticisation authors sometimes suggest as well is that this lack of actual real antagonism yeah. then manifests in forms of populism, yeah. right? Because the fight has to go somewhere, That's if right. that makes sense. Yeah. But um, let I want to so so to summarise then the anti-politics thesis is. Well, look, I've got a brief summary here, which I think is effectively anti-politics is the symptom of the increasing split between politics and society. But politics enwraps civil society, pacifies militant sections of it. Now, to do so, it requires consent and coercion, as Gramsci will put it. As the social basis of the major parties have dissolved, so as traditional working class organisations for labour, and less clear for liberals, but more like some sort of, you know, small holding or a unified capitalist class, their roles as policemen of capital in the political sphere have become more apparent. Okay. And I think the other thing is as well, for the writers of Left Flank, we don't yeah. mourn these conditions. No, not at all. Right? Like, no. that actually, here's an opportunity yeah. to actually further mm. push the anti-political mood, anti-political mood. Yep. as part of an emancipatory project. Yeah. You know, and so I think that they've got a pointed edge at those people on the left mm. who think one must yeah. resuscitate politics, mm. that we want to you know, breathe life back into the rep representative yep. system. But you wrote an article on the book mm -hmm. uh, about the LNP and law and order, which I think mm. kind of ties into this in a particular way. Mm. Look, I mean, when I wrote this article, um, probably getting in a year ago now, um, 
I was really responding to Stuart Hall's work. Stuart Hall the, um, of the Birmingham Cultural School, and he wrote about effectively how um, law and order campaigns are used in the British context to um, to basically, you know, um, ensure to to, to to prop up political consent for parties for um, political parties in Britain as they face the dual crisis of. Um, the breakdown of Keynesianism in the 70s on one hand and upsurge in radical and racial movements in Britain itself. So this was in the context of the early 80s? When, mid-70s. When, mid-70s. In, the, in the mid-70s, you know, before Thatcher. This is during the phase, I guess, this is this, this morbid period, these yeah. morbid symptoms starting to appear in between, you know, when there's... When before neoliberalism kicks in and offers its solution, I suppose. Yeah, and a know. popular ideological program. And a popular ideological program. That, that could, win, could win consent. Definitely. So, so to my understanding, like yeah. the impetus was this, was the yeah. LNP government's introduction of the yeah. FAD laws, Look, the Violent Law right. Association. Well, I can't even remember. Yeah. The Violent, Law. Violent Lawless Association Disestablishment Act. That's the one. Now, and basically, I wanted to make a point here, which I didn't make in the article enough, which is that anti-politics is, has, been, has a long tradition in Queensland, actually. Going back, you know, we can talk about all the way back to Bjorki Peterson. Now, you described him as a political insider before. Mm. I don't think it's that clear. I think Bjorki Peterson campaigned heavily on populism. He openly displayed his contempt for fellow politicians, particularly in Canberra, and ride, rode roughshod over over politics and laws in Queensland. He didn't care for the opposition. He didn't even care for his own coalition partners. Mm-hmm. They were, you know, seen as just getting in the way of his common sense approach to politics. So I think there's, you know, and. You know, the best example of him using law and order is probably in 1977 when there was a street march ban. Now, mm-hmm. um, briefly, um, this is uh, as a reaction to the anti-uranium movement, which is yeah. gaining a lot of credibility there. And Joe's obviously, um, Joe and his ministers are in up to their, up to their, to their pockets mm-hmm. in this uranium expansion. And there's a big social movement opposing the, the, the expansion of uranium mining. So he responds with um, banning marches, all street marches and public gatherings of any more than three people, as is, um, and that's kind of a funny thing, it's replicated in the um, in the current laws, is yeah. there's, a, there's a ban, there's a groups of three or five, and five, yeah. five, yeah, groups so, of, so you, you see that the, yeah. there's a continuation here, yeah, an look, expansion of state yeah. power mm. is not just an end in itself, mm. you know, like, it's not just about kind of mm. using more power against the bikies, but it's about yeah, yeah. The, the state seeking a way that it can... Win some kind of social consensus. Yeah, winning social consensus and also trying to do what the state's supposed to do and wrap civil society to kind mm-hmm. of um, to moderate groups, to bring radical forces um, into sway. And if they can't do that by consent, then they do it by coercion mm-hmm. in the form of these, these law and order drives. Um, and I mean, I think that the Vlad stuff comes out, the Vlad laws come out of the fact that, as we've discussed, Newman is a Newman gets elected as in a kind of anti-political moment, mm-hmm. very much opposed to Anna to to Anna Bly and Peter Beattie. They're seen as a stultified political machine, quite yeah, rightly. Yeah, they were incredibly yeah. they're corrupt and stultified, I think, you know, like we see um see this and they were so divorced from anything approximating a social base, as we yeah. see with the privatization drive. So, I mean, yeah, Newman gets elected on the with the anti-political vote, really, I think. Like and he gets a massive landslide, right? Um, but as soon as he gets into power, power, shit hits the fan, basically. He you know, quickly declares a budget emergency, which we talked about previously. Um, you know, the, the, the budget needs to be that we need to cut public servants, so 14,000 public servants are fired, mm-hmm. and then we have the Commission of Audit. I think Audit the Commission of Audit come first, I'm not sure. But either way, these two things are happening. Yeah, yeah. And they're not very popular, right? So this yeah. is a massive slump in, you know, LNP approval ratings. So then... 
we see the establishment of the Vlad, or the violent, the violent law associations disassemble, disestablishment act. <laughs> no, it's a great act. Such a great, I mean, such, such a great name. How do you understand, like, a lot of the way that the debate has been about this is yeah. that the uh, LNP's yeah. impl- uh, relationship to law and order breaks yeah. standard Westminster conventions, right? You know, mm. the, the formal independence of the jury. jury Judiciary. Yeah. Can you shed some light on this at all, or does this fit into your what um, you're trying to understand? Yeah. Or? Look, I mean, I think that in any way, like that's the benefit of it for them. You know, yeah. it's it, they want to break. They they like no government in Queen, no right wing government or left wing government really in Queensland's ever obeyed fully those that sort of arbitrary Westminster distinction, and, yeah. and in many ways breaking it and being seen to be above the legal system, to be above the judiciary, who was yeah. who were viewed here, you know, particularly the the, the, the pedophilia thing. They presented. They tried to present a lot of the a lot of Queensland legal system as like you know hopelessly politically correct and hopelessly yeah. you know divorced soft, from soft reality. Soft on crime, yeah. soft on pedophilia. So then we've yeah. got you know like Joe Bly, convincing lawyer. You know yeah. he's an everyman almost. You know comes in and says no, we don't need to listen to you know law as it stands or politics as it stands. We're just gonna you know we're just going to imp- implement this even if it's you know technically it might be you know breaking the law in and of itself so we can say that, that kind of anti-political move yeah like extends mm. you know, not just to like the formal elected politicians but yeah. the kind of all the institutions yeah. of the totally. state the institutions understood as being, being unrepresentative yeah. yep. d- uh, divorced from a social base yep. compromised yep. and yep. what's interesting about this then anti-politics is open for, for contestation it yep. can be of the right or of the left. That's right. For lack of a better term. The left used to be really left. good at it. The left used to be the best at doing, doing anti-politics. Yep. And again, I guess the thing that's then really interesting that the, yeah. some of the critique at Newman has yeah. then been an attempt to defend these institutions. Mm. Right? The, 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 yeah. Which is actually like a fundamentally anti-democratic move. Yeah. Right? So the, the problem is we only have a unicameral system here. Mm. The problem yeah. is that politics has too much power. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, what yeah. we need to do is to make sure there's tougher limitations, yeah. which was classically the conservative move, right? Definitely. You know? yeah, and yeah. I think maybe we'll take a song break in a moment. It shows yeah. another problem is the, the left's uh, suspicion of people. Mm, you know, ordinary the, people, yeah. ordinary people are considered to be suspect, yeah. and therefore governments are considered to be suspect. Yeah, and that, that's a classic misreading of this law of, of the law and order drive by certain sections of, li- of the liberal left. Yeah, they see you know that law and order drive is pandering to the bogan as they uh, as they categorise them. Yeah, these um the these the um the, the great unwashed working class. Yeah, masses. I think I think we could really have another show where we like. Further rip apart yeah, this kind yeah. of conception of, time you know, of the, the bogan, yeah. you know, as this kind of bogeyman of the liberal left that, yeah. for some reason, sees the working class as conservative. All yeah. right, let's uh, have a quick song break, mm-hmm. and then we'll continue our conversation about populism. Yesterday they told me the trouble you got into.
was serious but never thought it was the end You come and go, wake up, come on Well, I'm not ready for it, you're just a young So let's continue our conversation about mm. anti-politics mm. and particularly anti-politics and populism. Mm. So some of the ways that, say, the mood is mm. expressed, so point one of populism mm. yep. and point two of populism, certain mm. members of the political class yeah. use anti-politics for political advantage. Yeah. The classic example at the moment would be the Palmer United Party. Totally. Uh, maybe the Qatar Australia Party would be another yep. version of this and maybe yep. One Nation too. Yep. Anything particularly you want to talk about these phenomena? Um, well, I just want to start, I think, by saying, you know, that particularly in Queensland, populism and radicalism have been interconnected for decades, like all the way back, probably well well past, but, you know, uh, an idea of this, I suppose, is the election of Australia's only communist to, yeah. to parliament in 1944. Um, very much, you know, um, a reaction to the Australian workers', workers union's monopoly in the northern sugar fields, mm-hmm. and, you know, they're... So we see um, radicalism, populism, I think, here connected together. Also, I want to also want to say that what we've got with the with, with, with the Palmer United Party and with One Nation as well, which is something else that I think we need to talk about, is yeah. how the old ideas of the Labour Party. We were talking about them in the last section of yeah. this. How the Labour Party stood for white Australian social democracy. These were the yeah. two two key tenets of the Labor, of the historical Labour Party up until Whitlam, up yeah. until the Whitlam government, you know, if we want to um if 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 we apply that kind yeah. of arbitrary distinction there. Um what I think is really interesting about the Palmer United Party, um, and Canada's Australian Party to a degree, and also One Nation is the extent to which these these parties have taken on those old ideas of social democracy, of defending against privatization. Yeah. Of defending, um, of defending workers' rights, and of, um, and of, you know, in one nation's instance, of course, of, of using white Australia rhetoric, right? Yeah, I, th- I think it's what's really interesting if you look at the Palmer United Party's ads for this mm. election campaign, yeah, yeah, yeah. which have only come up in the last couple of days. Yes, yes. You know, yeah. uh, pretty much the thing that they're right, they're running on is opposition to asset privatisation, and they have a particular ad mm. as well where mm. they basically ca- put together. Anna Bly and Campbell Newman as supporters of privatisation, which is yep. true, yep. right? Yep. And see themselves as opponents of this mm-hmm. and defenders of assets. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the Palm United Party and One Nation have to be considered separately because yep. I don't think the Palm United Party has the kind of the uh, racial, racist yeah, element of, yeah. of One Nation. But even I was interested in looking at um, well, the One Nation election machinery hasn't been as effective no. um, kicking in for uh, this election, but looking at one of their Facebook pages, there's a long letter written there about farmers and farmers' experiences and problems with credit. Hmm. And, you know, like, this is not what we often consider to be, like, what One Nation is about, right? It's not simply here. Obviously, racialised in an implicit way, but they're talking about old labour concerns in many ways. The other thing that I've been thinking a lot about, Pup, and this um, relates to my thinking with Jonathan Sree, and we'll talk about that later, mm. is that Palmer, in terms of 
Sunshine Coast, so the Sunshine Coast for overseas mm. listeners is the area just north of Brisbane. It's where uh, Palmer's based, mm-hmm. right? Really trying quite hard to mobilise himself as a representative of that area. Mm. You know, like a, since there's been, a, say, a collapse of clear class identities, mm. you know, linked to p- political parties, mm. what he's trying to manifest it is an idea of a regional demographic. Yep. So there's a mu- so if you go up to the Sunshine Coast, mm. there's a lot more Palmer paraphernalia. Yeah, you it's know, impossible to avoid it. It's like impossible, it's like big billboards. And of course, he's like a prominent tycoon and mm. you know, owns the local uh, golf course as well. But I think in the way that he really understands himself as a representative of a region. And I think this, again, is a new manifestation of anti-politics. Now, we'll, we'll, the election will be a test as to how well this goes, mm-hmm. right? You know, um, the writers at Left Flank make the argument that Palmer has now become so deeply involved in horse trading at a federal level mm. that that's exhausted maybe the anti-political cachet. Uh, but I still think there's a possibility for him to direct the kind of hostility that does exist towards privatisation and politics mm. uh, there. So I think that that's, yeah. that's pretty interesting. And anything else on this kind of populism? Well, just no one else is doing it, right? Like no one else is really campaigning as openly as Palmer is on yeah. this. Like the, like the Greens are talking about it to a degree, but mostly, you know, they've obviously got their own interests. They're focusing on the Barrier Reef and other areas, and yeah. Labor's also focusing on the Barrier Reef and, other, and environmental degradation yeah. and whatnot, because, you know, the Labor at least is fully in line with, ON, with, with the LNP's mining policies mm-hmm. as well. But I just think the, um, the way that the Liberal... Well, I want to interrupt yeah, you. Sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, and I think, like, in some ways... OK, we spent a, lot, a fair bit of time talking about, about things. Yeah. The final point I probably want to make about yeah. it is that the yeah. response that yeah. of much of what, again, I'm going to call the yeah. liberal left, the Facebook yeah. left, yeah. towards the phenomena of Palmer has yeah. been completely the same as the response of the political class. Yeah, yeah. You know, to ridicule him as an idiot yeah. or, or just a naked interest of private mm. capital and fail to understand the yeah. widespread anti-political mood that yeah. exists yeah. and a defence of politics. So I think there's often like, you know, while we shouldn't see in these phenomena a positive emancipatory content in populism, yeah, yeah. like there's something being expressed here mm. that I, I think we should pay a little closer attention to. And mm. also, you know, not mourn the mm. collapse, uh, the internal vortex within the two-party system, not yep. mourn the yep. way that these parties are in crisis and their lack yep. of possibility. In fact, this yep. is a split yep. that we want to push further. That's now, right. at that point, I think I want to break into talking about Jonathan's three yep. because I think, very interestingly, he attempts to do both. But before we'll do that, a song. Do not doubt the government's resolve. Do not doubt that we are going to see this thing through. If you've done nothing wrong, you have nothing to fear. If you've done nothing wrong, you have nothing to fear. If you've done nothing wrong, you have nothing to fear. We are the government. We decide what's best for you. Dear Queensland, your sat-nav's out of date. You followed the wrong road and now we're turning into a police state. Legislating democratic disruption. Two-party system, double the corruption. Privatising while facilitating corporate greed. Funding cuts for any NGO that disagree. Out with the old and in with your friends is fine. I'll hire your son and you hire mine. This is Queensland, where no man is carried. We like our blacks in jail and our gays unmarried. If you protest, we'll lock you away. You have the freedom to do what we say, but you can't trust the LNP, mate. You don't trust the LNP. 
are trashing the environment But the mainstream media's like No worries mate, it's good for the economy The Courier Mail ain't the paper that it used to be When rich white men get to set the agenda Free speech don't mean much for the rest of us I know you're not evil You think you're doing the right thing But it's frightening, disheartening How shit you are at listening This is Queensland, we don't allow bitching We like our kids Christian and our women in kitchens Immigrants on welfare are lazy slobs But if they find employment, well they took our jobs Leaders of Queensland You give the homeless grief And you're dumping half a mountain on the barrier reef Close hospitals and open casinos That's where the green goes I always knew you were trouble And now the pot's overflowing Are you power hungry or just plain stupid? Either way, we won't water the weeds you're sowing Cause you can't trust the LNP Mate, you don't trust the LNP Want me like a fly If I don't comply Send the cops in to tase me Question the system They'll label you crazy If you don't believe This is history repeating Then Google corruption And Joe B. Olkey Peterson They changed campaign finance rules To make it harder For the minor parties running While warehousing criminals Like tools in bunnings Locking kids up Pop that bubble, locking kids up While legal aid is underfunded, locking kids up Even though it causes more trouble It's all part of the incarceration business model Done nothing wrong, nothing to fear That's what the Nazis told the Jews And yeah, I know Campbell Newman's nothing like Hitler But his propaganda sounds eerily familiar This is Queensland You better dress formal Four wheel strip search anyone who doesn't look normal The poor get poorer while we're whining and dining Lining pockets with profits from unsustainable mining Short sighted And now the pot is overflowing Are you power hungry or just plain stupid? Either way, we won't water the weeds you're sowing Cause you can't trust the LNP Mate, you don't trust the LNP You can't trust the LNP Mate, you don't trust the LNP Wake up Queensland Smell the cat shit in your cereal This disease stinks like it's venereal No one thinks for themselves There's no critical inquiry Distracted by the bright lights and river fire We swallow propaganda And say thanks for the medicine Swallow propaganda and don't ask questions We swallow propaganda And we will get what we deserve And that was Rivermouth uh, playing their song Propaganda. Now, one of the reasons I wanted to play that is that Jonathan, Jonathan, Jonathan Sree, who's the... Um, that is how you pronounce his last name, isn't it? I, I, I hope so. Yeah, Apologies, it, it Jonathan. Is, it is. Uh, if, who is the candidate for South Bank? South Brisbane. South Brisbane. Um, is the lead singer of that band. Now, I want to start with an anecdote uh, about that band because I think this expresses really what I want to get to. Yeah, so I saw Rivermouth play at Buddha's Birthday. So for those who aren't familiar with Brisbane, Buddha's Birthday is a large Buddhist festival, happens down at South Bank. Like all these kind of things, presents itself as a fairly depoliticised, family-friendly affair, you know, um, community group from, I I think it's a Taiwanese version of uh, Buddhism is the main religious institution behind it. So 
often ha- obviously has to have some kind of relationship to the state to facilitate mm. this. You know, yeah. got to be on the government's good graces. Mm. So at this perform- at this stage, at seven mm. o'clock, at this yeah. big of- event where everyone's eating mock meat, you know, yeah. and yeah. down on the river, they play this song, and it yeah. is seriously one of the most interesting public, cultural, political moments that I've gone through. There is a mm. noticeable, dangerous, tense tense feeling mm. that ripples through this through the crowd mm. as this really vocal critique of yeah. the government is made. And yeah. I assume, of course, you know, there would be people, not just LNP supporters, but from the government at this event, yeah. right? And, like, I don't really like that form of music. I don't really like yeah. jazz, hip-hop, poetry. Yeah. But that was... It was seriously one of the most punk-as-fuck things that I've ever... Yeah. You know, like, it, it... Like, the hairs went up on the back of my neck because someone mm. was really making an intervention here. Mm. And... I think that's really important because I, you know, when, the way that the rise at left flank think about point two of anti politics, the entry yeah, yeah. of anti politics into mainstream uh, into politics. mainstream politics is that it's cynical. Mm. The thing that makes it really interesting about Jonathan's campaign, and I've got to say, I personally really like Jonathan. We've had yeah. uh, small amounts of collaboration in the back. This yeah. is not a cynical campaign in any way. Here's someone who is part of a local activist scene, part of a local activist milieu, and hat tip to Jackson if he's listening for pointing out to me the other day that the Invisible Committee warn us about Hmm. milieus and their dangers, but he's part of a real scene that exists in South Brisbane, made up maybe university-educated, musical, politically radical. You know, he's part of that world, a legitimate part of that world, and he's attempting to step on to the political stage. Now, I wanted to play another excerpt from, from him, but... Did we? I cut you off before in the section before, John. Did you, was there something more that you wanted to make? Oh, I just wanted to make the point that, on the in in terms of populism, and I think it's it's relevant here to this discussion as well. In terms of the the, the major parties to start expressing these ideas. So we're talking about this in in the context of Palmer. You know, Palmer um, is expressing anti anti privatization, putting that at the very centre of his politics. Yeah. Well, no other no neither Labor nor the nor the Greens seem to be really doing that. And I think. That's also relevant. In, I, in fact, I think the Labor yeah. ads I've been seeing yeah. have the line, you cut too soon. Yeah. You know, well, like you so cut too much. Too much, yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, so not even opposing the ideas of the cuts. Yeah. But before we go any further, I'm going to play the audio from one of Jonathan's election videos hmm. because I think that sets the scene even more, really gives us some meat to pick through. Australian politics is broken. I'd like to think it's not beyond repair, but barely a day goes by when I don't despair at how childish, arrogant and selfish our so-called leaders have become. No wonder voters don't care anymore. I don't blame you. Sometimes it seems like the main difference between Labour and Liberal is the colour of the balloons and their sausage sizzles. So damn adversarial. Like they've all picked their teams in a footy game and you ain't a good politician unless you keep telling everyone how much the other side sucks. Mr Politics, seeking more power. Chasing votes like a dog after pigeons. Focus groups are his only religion. Now he's lost in the echo chamber. Tough decisions. Puts them off till later. Fixated on the lowest common denominator. No need for detail. Derail the vernacular. He'll say what he needs to say to stay popular. It's also boring. Unadventurous. Candidates worry that the media will have a go at them unless they dress, talk and act like every other political wannabe and that they'll be branded as immature or crazy simply because they dared to act like a normal human. So they just keep kissing babies. Vampires trying to suck the life out of the next generation. We know half of them are corrupt. Playing it cool, 
while dancing on hot plates. Dodgy deals with developers and mining magnates covering up mistakes, jobs for mates, and we just let them get away with it. There are so many smart, good-hearted people in this country who would make great political representatives, but will have a hard time changing things while the clowns are running the circus. We have ideas. We have serious, well-researched policies, but the major parties soil their nappies whenever anyone suggests changing the status quo because they know we can do a better job than them. I'm not out to throw a spanner in the works. I brought a whole toolbox. I want to fix this broken system because right now half our politicians are for sale. You can buy them by the dozen if you have enough dough. They pretend to give a crap about us regular people, but you only have to look at where the big money flows to know that they don't care about the long-term future. Heads in the sand, fingers in their ears. Come election day, they'll try to recruit you, but their super-rich friends are still greasing the gears, while these tossers play the part of the bleeding heart. They leave the rest of us struggling down in the pit. But if you vote for the same old parties stuck with the same old shit. Okay, they're now fielding uh, candidates in most of the seats. Most of them don't have a webpage, but he's got a really great webpage. He's got this YouTube video presence. And I don't know if the Greens have, have, in, have fixed this, but when we started doing thinking about this show the other day, I jumped online, looked at, at Jonathan's YouTube page, and there are four videos. They're well-produced. They contain these musical and poetic elements. In fact, he has this campaign launch which counterposes scenes of like people in the crowd, a band playing, I'm not sure if it's Rhythm Mouth or another band talking about, you know, we just want to hang out in the park and party, yeah, and the yeah. cops shut us down, you know, really embodying yeah. a kind of mode of life mm. for a certain section of, of Brisbane. Yeah. Really great website. Jumped onto the Greens Queensland website. Mm. And there's, I think the guy, I can't even remember his name, he's like formerly there, meant to be there equivalent of a leader. Did and he's Drew Hutton? No, not Drew Hutton. Drew Hutton's not officially involved in the oh, Greens yeah, anymore. Yeah. Uh, this guy, I kind of like, and it was like, the, it was just a still YouTube video mm. of him standing in front of two people on computers yeah. talking about how exciting the campaign launch was. The audio quality was as bad as this audio quality. <laughs> and it was just the, like the model of like, you know, the middle-aged green eco-technocrat, mm. right? Like, yeah. um, or even Larissa Waters is, is not yeah. this. No. If you, you go on Jonathan's Facebook page, and I think people should do this, like he's kind of taking the piss constantly. Like he's mm. describing himself and he says something like, it's equivalent like, I really like Turkish delight. You know, yeah, he, yeah. he's involved yeah. in this kind of subversion of the yeah. role of the politician mm. at the same time that he's presenting mm. any political content. John, what do you think about this kind of stuff? Look, it's really interesting, right? I mean, and I think just on the level of, on the level of form is important, but also on the level of politics, I think he's articulating opposition to development in West End, which I don't think is getting expressed by the other parties, certainly by Labor. Labor's not really interested, if anything, they'll go along with um, Campbell Newman's rising of high-rises in West End to 30 storeys. Yeah, yeah. So they won't turn back on that. There's no way. There's already half of them are built or being built already. Um, but, yeah, Jonathan's really articulating sort of urban space politics, which I'm very keen yeah. on. You know, but I would say it's different from an opposition to development. Mm. Like, it's even, like, yeah. there's something more interesting than yeah. standard NIMBYism. Yeah, no, yeah. no, and I don't mean to confuse it as NIMBYism. I mean, I think it's about a form of life that he wants to maintain. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, I, I think, and I think that's what's really interesting, the way that I was thinking about it, mm. was that, so, if you, he has his politics, which is basically like, okay, you know, 
I came from a public, he has this narrative that says, I come from a public school, moved mm. to South Brisbane, became part of this world. Mm. This is this really great world. Mm. Uh, it's being threatened by rising costs, mm. lack of social amenities. Mm. We need development, but it needs to be subordinate to what people need from life, and he even goes mm. further where he says, and we should extend livability outside of South Brisbane. Yes. So I know we've talked about in the past, you know, there can be a bit of a kind of politics around South Brisbane and around West End, which yes. is like, save West End, the rest of Brisbane can get fucked. Yeah. Right? Totally. Like, that's, that's so it's, it's so, it's, what they, what, that's certainly how it's expressed sometimes. Isn't yeah, it? so it's certainly not that. I, the way I was thinking about it is that, you know, this is in some ways a class demand mm. by a certain section of the class that doesn't think of itself with the language class. of class, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like yep. these you know, young people, people involved in precarious work, yeah. you know, people involved in some kind of refusal to work, mm. you know, yep. demanding a kind of quality of space, community, life mm. and determination of that space, mm. which he is clicking into. So that's yep. pretty interesting. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it breaks down the distinction between society and politics, which is something that anti-politics hold, that the, the politics itself seeks to exist outside of society, right? Politics manages society. But when political demands are coming from within society, coming from sections of society that are actually... That, it confuses things a bit for me, I think. It confuses the anti... It confuses, like, as politics... If politics is just about constraining and bringing... Um, bringing dissident thoughts in, like, you know, purifying them and turning them down, then how does Suri's campaign fit into that? Yeah, I, I guess, like, let, he makes an argument, right? So yeah. I think we should address the argument. So yeah. he makes an argument that goes along the lines of saying that politics, mm. as it is practised, yeah. is fucked, right? Yeah. The diagnosis he makes is that because there's money involved mm. and because there's cynical self-interest amongst mm. the major political parties, and these are yep. linked, Yep. And that the solution is that there are good people out there yep. and good ideas mm. that need to move in. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think this critique is fundamentally wrong. Yes. Right? So, certainly. yes, there are large amounts of money mm. involved in politics. Mm. Yes, political parties are cynical. Mm. But because the state exists within capitalism, even if you removed the influence of, say, Gina Reinhart or yes. Rupert Murdoch or any of the yeah. other bugbears, uh, Betty Noir of, yeah. Yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. the liberal left, the Facebook left, the socialist left, the state would still be subordinate to the tools of, of cap, to, the, yeah. to, to capital, right? Yeah. The state would still be about Capitalism is more than individual capitalists. Yeah, Capitalism totally. is a social relation, not individual. And this is because society is capitalist, right? Yeah. You know, if, if you get into the state and say, I want to do the best for society, mm. society is subordinate to the processes of the accumulation of capital. Yep. You have to do things to keep capital going because capital, right. you know, and the, the, the radical position is to say, well, society is split and there's an antagonism within it. So yep. I think he's at, he's at, le at that level, his analysis is fundamentally wrong, mm. right? Also, things, I don't think things would be improved necessarily by just having good people of good heart and good ideas entering no. into politics. No. You know, the, you're the historian. That's the history of social democracy, yeah, right? That's you know? right. Like that. We, 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 we've seen all this before. We've seen this before. We've seen, you know, um, even like quite well-meaning communist parties, like the Italian Communist Party or others, going into power. And becoming entirely corrupted, like and I necessarily in, repressive, yeah, right? You like, know, I mean, yeah, I mean, look at the Indian examples, fantastic. Yeah. That one where they're in, um, in in Bengal, uh, they they've been cracking down on social movements for decades. Yeah, the legitimate social movements for decades. I, I've been reading um, Tikkun's "This Is Not a Program," which mm. is largely based on the experiences of the radical social struggles in Italy 
uh, the creeping May, late 60s and 70s, and yep. the uh, Italian Communist Party, mm. you know, becomes the front line of the defender of the capitalist social Definitely. order. Definitely. Like, you know, like, like how the French Communist movements. Party was in, in, in May 68 as well, similarly. And it's not because they're fuckwits, right? It's no. because they have a project of improving and defending society. That's right. They exist within the state nexus. Yeah. They see themselves as needing to take control of the state. Yeah. And that's yeah, a no, fundamental was, issue. So the next thing I guess I want to consider is, like, I'm certainly not saying... Though I don't... It's not a cheap end. Well, I guess the thing, we're going to have to see what happens with Syriza in Greece Syria, and, yeah, uh, yeah. and what happens with Podemos in Spain because mm. the limits of electoralism are being tested, right? Yep. I guess also the Bolivarian process in Venezuela, yep. uh, you know, uh, what, what's going on in Bolivia. There are electorally focused projects yep. that often have relationships to large-scale social struggles. So I guess mm-hmm. the point about Jonathan's campaign, it is not connected to a large-scale social struggle. No, it's certainly it's a very uh, localized social, a very localized campaign based on very localized struggles. But yeah, in a kind of a world, you know, yeah, a yeah. kind of resistant, yeah. a semi-resistant mode of being, rather yeah, than right. a real, a real kind of world that's really opposing. So that's something. I'm also not saying don't vote for Jonathan. You know, since no, I don't think uh, changes can come from an electoral system, no. I don't really think not voting does anything. So if no. I lived in in South Brisbane, I would probably vote for Jonathan. Yeah, right, you know, like, and in the seat that I live in, I'm in the Anala seat. Yeah. I'll probably give my first vote to a Green as well, but yeah. I'm not really committed, you know, no. um, to to that kind of process. Yeah, I, I don't see. I, I look. I mean, and maybe this is just the old kind of Trotskyist in me, but I'd still think that you know, if we had a Greek-style situation in Australia, that I would probably be very much supportive of something like Syriza emerging, something that had the possibility of radical, fundamental change, even if it was only within the political sphere, even if it was only because there was a social movement outside of that. The social movements that are pushing that politics forward, yeah. I think. And I guess this, this is the difficulty for us. You know, we've talked a number of times well, mm. with each other. We said last week, we don't actually have, understand, or the previous show, we don't actually understand what the movement against capitalism would actually look like. No, that's So right. it's very hard to, to, to be purist in that position. Yeah. But I guess the critique that I want to make is yeah. that I think the thing that I do think is actually really negative about Jonathan's campaign mm. is the way that it says... It redirects people back towards the state. Yeah, you yeah. know that that because I actually think that an emancipatory project is about further widening the rift. Yeah, you know, not yeah. not closing yeah. it, not saying people turn in, let's yeah. fix this. Is that yeah. of course it's broken. We've got to intensify that split mm. even more. And it reminded me, like of um, in some ways, Jonathan's campaign reminded me of what Ticken in this is not a program say about the citizen. And they mm. talk about, you know, the citizen, the well-meaning citizen who is responsible. Mm. So he's, they, they, they write as follows. But responsibility for what, really? For our shitty society? For the contradictions that undermine your mode of production? The cracks in your totality? Tell me. Besides, this is how one is sure to recognise the citizen. By his individual introjection of these contradictions, of the aporias of the capitalist whole. Rather than fight against the social relations ravaging the most basic conditions of existence, the citizen sorts out his garbage and fills his car with alternative fuel. Rather than contributing to the construction of another reality, on Fridays after work he goes to serve meals to the homeless in a centre run by slimy religious conservatives. And that is what he's going to do, that is what he's going to talk about at dinner the next day. The most simple-minded voluntarism and the most gnawing guilty conscience. These are the citizens' defining characteristics. Now, maybe that's unfair to kind of associate that with Jonathan's campaign, mm. but I think the general approach 
which is we need to fix politics, yeah. is about this. Yeah. You know, which is rather than saying the like actually the breakdown of politics mm. is something that if we don't mourn, we should realise, yeah. and that's the terrain. Which yeah. is, you know, I'm doing what I teased you for last week, talking about the we, the we, the, the end, royal yeah, we, what, the royal what, we, what, what, what we should be doing. But I think interesting and maybe kind of closing up a bit is how Podemos exists at a different level here. They exist yeah. within the electoral sphere as a way of breaking the electoral sphere, of breaking yeah. politics. Well, we'll, we'll have to see how that And that, and I mean, look, I'm not saying that they could, like, um, for instance, like the Whitlam government did in Australia, corralling social movements to within the political sphere. And I've heard some arguments that Syriza is doing similar things in Greece, yeah. demobilising the um, autonomous, de- demobilising autonomous social movements. Yeah. You know? So we don't know what's going to happen there. But I think there's definitely possibilities that are beyond just sort of a sort of posing outright intervention in yeah. formal politics. Okay, so I, I, I guess like my guess as well with Jonathan's campaign is that he won't win the seat. Oh, he, no, I mean, I, I looked at the numbers. The Greens polled nearly 20% last time. In, I think that they'll probably poll a bit less this time, personally. Yeah. But, you know, look. So, but it, it is certainly, in terms of the formal terrain of politics, yeah. the most interesting thing going on. Definitely. Uh, and, expre- and I think anti-politics helps us understand some of this stuff. Look, I think for our next show, what we might talk about is um, the relationship of struggle, mm. right? So maybe we need to think about what happened after Newman was elected last time, yep. that series of defeats, yep. and what should we expect after what is still going to be an LNP victory, yep. I think. Was it, when's the election? The 31st? 31st, yeah. Come the, the 1st of February, mm. it's going to be an LNP government, probably mm. emboldened. Mm. Uh, after the election, uh, we'll t- talk about then. But we might even do some more radio shows depending on we how might. much time we yeah. can get on our lunch break. Yeah. All right. And th- thanks for the despondent conclusion, Dave. <laughs> um, we're going to finish with, again, um, You can. this is the Living the Dream, the radio program of the Hoo-Ha Group. You can find us on our blog, thewordfromstrugglestreet.wordpress.com. I'm going to finish with another, we're going to finish, sorry, with another Queensland classic. This is going to be Fuckhead Zone by Escape from Toy Town. Fuck off the video, alright? Who are you? I'm a policeman, now fuck off the video. As I was turning the corner Blue and red lights were all I could see Hooning the wrong way down a one-way street Fifteen cars like you see on TV Pull up, get out and I'm cringing As the cops drag my friends off their feet Battered, unconscious and handcuffed And trying to reason with that grow Friends with tears in their eyes The blue army wants smart skinny punks To fill up their charge sheets Easy to bruise and manhandle While yops bash each other to pieces If you're six and a half foot and you're dressed in a suit No cop will bother to grab you We're getting our convention center The casino and more coppers too Cameras to spy on people walking at night Oh, they'll get you at the end of that bridge And I just want to go home Don't want to be a Roman in Rome My friends are all tense You reinterpret events And I dread to tread your fuckhead zones And I just want to go home Get out of your fuckhead zones 
friends with tears in their eyes The blue army want smart skinny punks To fill up their chart sheets And I just wanna go home